All right, good evening, everybody. Great time of worship, wonderful time. If you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, that's where we'll be tonight. Genesis 39, Joseph in Egypt. We left off last week with getting the genealogy of Jesus through Perez um, in that chapter 38, really important for us. Unfortunately for Tamar, she had to go through quite a deal, but God uh, was able to do a work even in that horrible situation. And we see tonight in chapter 39 more of that. In fact, the entire story of Joseph is designed to give us a picture of the New Testament truth of Jesus Christ. That's the importance of studying the Old Testament with the New Testament. The New Testament has so much, uh, and we focus so much on learning and understanding and trying to uh, apply all that uh, wisdom to our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. And the Old Testament gives us a picture of those New Testament truths. And so tonight as we study this uh, life of Joseph, we go back from where uh, Jacob is and his family moving into Egypt where Joseph is. If you don't remember, Joseph's been sold by his 10 brothers, uh, Benjamin not being with them, he's still at home, but 10 of his brothers sold him into slavery, and that's where we pick up our story. They were not fond of him. They were jealous of him. They didn't appreciate him. He had gifts and skills and the love of the Father, and uh, that bothered them. Not so much to change, not so much to emulate their brother Joseph, but just get rid of him to make themselves look better. And so they feigned his death by selling him as a, a slave and bringing back his coat of many colors to his father for his father to see that he'd been torn up by a beast, uh, some kind of animal, a wild animal. And now his father is in mourning, but Joseph isn't dead. He's, just, he's presumed dead, but he's alive. And of course, we see that picture of Christ there as he's been sold by the religious rulers of the day uh, for 30 pieces of silver, uh, betrayed. Not that they wanted to change, but that they just wanted to make themselves look better by removing this uh, beautiful, gracious, loving uh, leader, uh, son of God. They thought if they could get rid of that comparison, that makes them look better. And that's usually how it works. And so we see that picture here being played out. Now, verse 1. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. That's our first break tonight. A beautiful picture of faithfulness, of God promoting him and raising him up, even in these horrible circumstances. See, for Joseph, it was a character issue. He was who he was. It didn't matter where he was, he was who he was. He was a good man. He loved the Lord and he served. And whoever was his boss, that's who he served. It's such a tremendous example for us of servanthood. 
even in captivity, even being wrongly accused of being uh, better than his brothers. Uh, he didn't exalt himself. God exalted him. And so being sold into slavery, he didn't consider that an excuse to not serve, to not be who he was, who God intended him to be. And that was to be a faithful, honest man who loved the Lord and served and worked hard. And so he did that. And so as Potiphar bought him from the Ishmaelites, it's interesting. There was this discrepancy when he was sold. You know, you try to make the comparison, the New, the New Testament truth of Jesus Christ and the Old Testament picture. There was a discrepancy. It was 20 pieces of silver is what he sold Joseph for to the Ishmaelites. And I'm like, oh, man, it'd be great if that was 30. But then you think about it, there's a markup. So I don't want to make it more than it is. But as these Ishmaelites bought him for 20, raises it 50%. And sells him to this Potiphar 30 pieces of silver. So that's my math. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but uh, it's interesting if you, if you do that. Anyway, this Potiphar guy buys him. It says he's an officer. This is going to be important later on. Next uh, week in chapter 4 uh, or 40, we're going to see that there are other officers. And the word officer there uh, in chapter 40 is the word eunuch. And we don't need to go into detail what that means, but... It means what it means. And so it's possible that all of Pharaoh's officers were eunuchs. They were around his stuff. They were around his harem. And they wanted to make sure that uh, no funny business was going on. So that might help us understand chapter 39 a little bit. Now, it might be a stretch. You could throw it out. But it's very possible. So, bought him. has him as his servant, and it didn't take long for him to figure out, as the master was watching this slave, that no matter what this kid did, it was blessed by God, and he knew it was blessed by God. Joseph lived his life in such a way that whatever he did, God got the glory for it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're often told as Christians, hey, make sure you do. If you do something good for somebody, make sure it's a big secret. Make sure nobody knows you did it. Well, yeah, make sure you do it in such a way that you aren't trying to bring yourself glory. But here we see Jesus giving a much, much clearer picture of what we're supposed to be doing is let your good works shine before men, but make sure that you do it in such a way that when you do it and they see you, that they give God glory. Very important. I don't know that I have to hide everything all the time. I don't want to toot my horn. I don't want to make sure everybody understands what I'm doing. But if I'm seen, it's not a failure on my part. I just pray that I did it in such a way that God got the glory for it. That they know it wasn't JD's character that did it, but it was God's new heart and new mind that JD received from him that caused him to do that. And they give God the glory for it. We always want that. Um, And so we see that Joseph's living that life, showing us by example what this looks like. And boy, if anybody had a reason to not be a good servant, it would be Joseph. He's not supposed to be here. This isn't fair. We like that word a lot. This isn't fair. I want fairness. Eh, Life isn't fair. Uh, Life is hard. Bad things happen to good people. That's how it is. It doesn't change who I serve and whose child I am. I'm a child of God and I serve him wholeheartedly. And if I'm like uh, Paul and Silas in the middle of a jail, unjustly accused, I'm going to sing hymns. It doesn't give me a reason to say, poor me. That's, that, we'll leave that up to Jonah. Uh, we want to be good servants of the Lord. 
And Joseph is such a great example for us. We could all be down and depressed and excuse our service away or our love away or our joy away and say, well, I'd be more joyful, but, but Joseph doesn't. He does what he's supposed to do. He does it faithful and he serves this man. And this man sees it and he gets favor from this guy. But even the favor, he doesn't take advantage of that. Potiphar is showing Joseph favor, giving him more and more responsibilities, but he doesn't take it to heart. In the sense that he doesn't go to his head. His head isn't expanding as he gets more and more responsibilities. He continues to serve like he always serves with just more duties. And he does each duty that's been given to him with with excellence. Ministry with excellence. So important. Sometimes I can fall into that place as a, as a pastor of, oh, if, if I had this or if I had that, we could do this or we could do that. And, and that's not what God's given us. God's given us what he's given us, and we want to do ministry with excellence with what he's given us. It makes no difference whether we have this or what other churches have or that. It doesn't make any difference. What do we do? What has God given us? Who do we have? And we do it with excellence. We do it to the best of our ability. And that's what Joseph does. Such a great example for us. So much so that he makes him overseer of all the house to the point this Egyptian doesn't even know what he has. He's not keeping track anymore. Can you imagine having a slave that honest that you don't have to worry about checking on the books to see if he's uh, pocketing half of the money or skimming, you know? He, he can completely trust this guy. That says so much about him, so much about Joseph and his service to this man. The guy only knows the bread that's in front of him, and he knows it's never going to run out. This, this kid, man, he's like Midas. Whatever he touches turns to gold. It's amazing. You know, I just trust this kid, this kid implicitly. God has got a hold of this kid and I'm going to let him, you know, uh, great example. We move on here. Now, Joseph was, a, was handsome in form and appearance. Um, and that's going to be the problem here. That's why the Bible writes that. That's why God puts this in here to set us up for verse seven. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know uh, what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He feels obligated to tell her, look, it's not that you're not pretty. It's not that you're not, uh, I'm not attracted to you or, or vice versa. It's, uh, this isn't appropriate. This isn't right. Uh, he, he's blessed me so much. My, my master's blessed me so much. I, I can't imagine that you're the only one, uh, the only thing he's ever kept from me. How could I possibly do this to him? It doesn't make any sense. Hoping that she would understand. Now, that's the problem. It's difficult to reason with unreasonable people. We try to sometimes. We try to reason with people that won't see reason. Now, it, sometimes it's our own blindness, and, and we think that, that, that everybody ought to see things our way. But a lot of times, it's just we want to have a conversation about something, but they're so emotionally attached to what they believe that they can't even have this rational conversation. And Joseph's trying to do that with her. Please understand, I know that she's not thinking with her head right now. I don't know that she's even thinking with her heart. 
She just wants what she wants. And this may go back to what I started off with earlier, that her husband's an officer. It's very possible that he's a eunuch. So maybe she is being denied. Maybe there are some fleshly desires that aren't being satisfied and she's searching and looking or whatever. And it's got a hold of her. I think most people can understand what happens when lust gets a hold of us. Reason goes out the window. And oftentimes we just act according to the flesh and we're not to do that. So Joseph tries to reason with her. And I want to run through several scriptures, but I want to focus on 1 Corinthians. So the guys aren't going to put up all these first scriptures. They're only going to put up this 1 Corinthians one at the end. So I'll say them slow so you can write them down if you're interested. But the Bible warns us about reasoning with unreasonable people. 1 Timothy 1.4, Paul is writing to this young pastor, Timothy, warning him about some of the conversations you could get into that are fruitless. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Don't get sucked into those bizarre conversations with people. And, and, and if you've gone to church for any amount of time, there's always that guy or that gal that likes to suck you into bizarre conversations about some strange genealogy. And you're like, okay, what does that have to do with today's teaching? What does that have to do with scripture? And the next one, Titus chapter three, verses 10 through 12, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. People like to divide. There are some people out there that just they just find that that's their ministry, that's their calling. I'm going to divide the body of Christ, and we don't have to put up with that. We're called to reject that divisive person after two admonitions, and that means we don't have to listen to them. We don't have to entertain them. We can say, look, you need to be quiet. You're dividing the body. Look, you need to stop that. You're dividing the body, and after that, I'm sorry, you just you need to go away. You're not bringing harmony, unity. You're not a blessing. You're not filled with the Spirit. You just like to divide and cause problems and arguments and clicks and fights and not worth it. And so we're called to that. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 through 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. We think that contradicts, but I think I get the gist, and I think we all do if we're led by the Spirit. The first one is don't get into the argument with them, but make sure they go away embarrassed. Make sure they go away rebuked is the idea. Uh, yeah, that's just a ridiculous argument. I, I didn't answer him according to his folly, but I certainly didn't let him think that he was correct or she was correct. And so we're called to these things. The final one that they're going to put up, reasoning with an unreasonable person, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Joseph is trying to explain to this woman from a righteous standpoint, from a holy standpoint, don't you see it's wrong for me to lie with you? You're another man's wife. Don't you see that I found favor and I serve him and that he's blessed me? How could I possibly do this thing? She's already there, though. She's already made the decision. I don't care about my husband. I'm trying to find another man. You fit the bill. So he's reasoning with an unreasonable person. He's trying to explain something spiritual to someone who's walking in the flesh. It's very difficult. Uh, Jesus tells us that it's uh, to... to, uh, for all, I was going to write it down and I didn't, but um, 
that you can shake the dust off your feet at one point, that you're not to cast pearls before swine. And that's okay. And the pearls he was talking about was the good news. I, I want everybody saved. I want everybody to know the truth. But sometimes it's just a waste of time. They're just, it's just bouncing off a, a wall, you know. Um, and, and there's a time when you say, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine anymore. I'm not going to answer a fool according to his folly. I'm not going to go into these endless genealogies and arguments with you. Look, if you don't want Jesus and you don't want to be saved, that's your choice. I'm going to someone who wants to hear. And we shake the dust off and we move on to the next town, and that's okay. He's trying to explain to this woman who is hot and bothered over him that I'm not going to do it, but she is hell-bent to sin. And so he doesn't have any choice but to move on. Verse 10, so it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. In other words, she kept up this pressure every single day. She was flirting with him and trying to get him to do what he didn't want to do to the point where he told her he wouldn't lie with her, but he also made it a practice in his life not to be around her. If she was in that room, he was in this room. If she was at that part of the house, he was in this part of the house, and he does his best. And from the time frame, it may be up to 11 years that he had to put up with this. We're not sure how long. But for up to 11 years here, he could have been trying to just avoid the situation altogether, to do his job, to serve as the slave that he was with excellence, but also having to avoid this temptation and this trial and this difficulty and just, anyway, just try to get out of it. And so he's trying to not be around her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men were in the house, none of the, I'm sorry, none of the men of the house was inside, so he's by himself with her, dangerous place to be, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought uh, into us a Hebrew. To mock us, he came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, and he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Joseph does only thing he can do. To avoid this cougar attack, he has to leave his garment behind and run outside. Um, sometimes that's, just, that's all you can do is to just flee the scene, get away from that sin, run from the sin. Her words are very important, though, for her heart. She's blaming her husband. If you look there, right there at verse 14, she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew. She's calling out her husband, Potiphar. Potiphar brought this Hebrew, which I'm not sure if it's racist or not, but probably, de well, uh, it's definitely, she's definitely bigoted. She has to bring out his ethnicity. He's a Hebrew. She brought, he brought this Hebrew into us. So you can see her attitude, and he's mocking us, and he tried to lie with me. Now, my guess is this isn't her first rodeo. Uh, I, a woman like this doesn't get that bold that quick. So my guess is all the other guys, all the other servants of the house were going, yeah, right. But nevertheless, what are they going to say? This is the, the master's wife. They, okay, yeah, it's, it's a horrible thing he's done. I don't know that they buy it or not. 
anyway, that's where they that's where they are. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, when you run into a sin, it says, flee sexual immorality. Flee, run from it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And I'd say that for all sins, but this scripture focuses on sexual immorality. Um, sometimes that's all you can do. First of all, if you are tempted by something, if you find yourself often giving in to a certain area, a certain area of your flesh, don't be around those things that are tempting to you. Um, suppose you're, you were an alcoholic and you've been delivered by Jesus Christ and you've been set free from that. You certainly don't apply for the bartender position. It doesn't make any sense. Why put yourself in that position? Um, there's nothing wrong. You're forgiven and all that, but why would you do that? Um, and, and, and like this, if you find yourself in a position where there's no other way out, God always provides a way out. He always, there may be a temptation, but he always provides a way of escape, this words to, the, the scripture tells us, always. And I think we need to own that because a lot of times we don't want to take that way of escape. It's either too drastic, um, it seems ridiculous, it'll show me as a weak person, um, I can do better next time. I can just have some intestinal fortitude. I just my guts. I'll, I'll tough this out, and, I, and I'll and I'll never ever ever do it again. Kind of thing. God provides ways out for us, and we need to take those ways. Joseph's way was pretty drastic. He had to. She had such a grip on him that she left. He left that coat behind. It's about time he stopped wearing coats, in my opinion. But he drops that coat and runs outside. That's pretty drastic. And everybody's wondering, where's Joseph going? Why is Joseph running? And there she is holding his coat. And now it's his word against her word. And of course, him being a slave, he's not going to have much, much of a chance there. Verse 16. So as she's told everybody, you know, hey, hey, he, he ran out of here because he attacked me. Verse 16. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Now, Potiphar's got to know his wife after all these years. And it's interesting how the Bible words this. Um, he knows Joseph and his character. He knows his wife and her character. But what's he going to do? As his wife says, and I've got all these witnesses and I've told them to back up my story, false accusation or not, what is he going to do? It says in verse uh, 19 here, so it was. When his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Now, in some Bible texts, there's an italicized portion after that that says he was upset with Joseph. That italicized words, those, that little phrase there, isn't in the original scripture. It just says this, and what mine says is, is all that's there. Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. But at who? Very well could have been at his own wife. Because I tell you what, he's got a faithful guy working for him. He's got a guy that everything he does uh, is, is blessed by the Lord. He's got character that's impeccable. And I've got a wife that isn't. But here comes my situation. What do I do? Believe my wife or do I believe this guy? He doesn't have a choice. He's got to take this kid, get him out of his house, and at least make the appearances 
that he trusts his wife and so on. It's tough. That's my guess. This probably isn't the first pool boy that she's tried to bed, but here we are. What do you do? Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper, even in jail. The warden of the jail says, do you mind running the jail, Mr. Prisoner? Sure. I mean, I'll do whatever I've got to do. What character? This is like three steps down for Joseph. He was in charge of everything that was his father's, then sold into slavery, brought into Potiphar's house, and completely blessed that house under as being a slave. Now he's no longer a slave. He's a prisoner. And now he's being a blessing there. Wherever he goes, Joseph's a blessing. All the way down, Joseph is a blessing. What a great lesson for us all, obviously. As God has called us to not be servants when it's easy, not to be servants and be joyful and be spirit-filled when life is good, when we're on top of the mountain, but always. Paul says, I've learned uh, to abound and I've learned to be abased. I've learned uh, with much and I've learned with little. He's learned to be content in any aspect of his life, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances he finds himself in. He is a content child of God. Contentment, so important. Godliness with contentment is great gain. No matter what our circumstances, am I content and am I living godly? He wants us to have that. He wants us to be that way. Now, this woman is upset. She's got him put in prison. There's spite there. Some people just have it out for you, and it's out of spite. They don't like the way you look. They don't like the successes you're having. They don't like maybe the fact that she maybe not didn't like the fact that he said, I'm the most important person in the house. He did say that. You know, that got him into trouble with his brothers too, didn't it? I'm having these great dreams about all you guys bowing down to me. Isn't that great? No. And when you're talking to the woman of the house and you say, there's no one more important in this house than me. She's standing right in front of him. And so Joseph's awfully honest sometimes, and maybe that gets him into trouble, but she's doing this out of spite. She doesn't like the fact she's rejected. She's probably never been rejected before. Everybody's terrified of her. She doesn't like the fact that Joseph is doing so well, that he is the number one guy in the house and everybody knows it, everybody respects him. And so out of spite, Matthew chapter four, verse 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Joseph's done that. He was very respectful of her explaining to her, I cannot lie with you. I cannot do this to my master. And here's why. But she didn't, she didn't receive that respect. She didn't understand what he was trying to do. And so there's spite there. People will be spiteful. There's nothing you can do about it. That's on them. You can try to explain it to them. You can try to help them understand because you don't want enemies. I mean, you want to live peaceably with all men and blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. You do your part, but Sometimes they're just unreasonable people, and you can't make everybody happy. 
You just can't. And he definitely didn't with her. So he finds himself in this great place. What an amazing place uh, to be this uh, in charge of everything in the prison. And whatever he did was, was prospering, even in jail. Even in jail, it reminds me of Daniel and, or actually Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and those guys. That's an Old Testament story, too, that we'll get to eventually. But um, these guys were taken into captivity, and this is what Kings are, uh, on Sunday, Kings is setting us up for. But they began to live for God even in captivity, eating vegetables and all these things. And all of a sudden, God is just blessing them with health and so on. And I see the same thing with Joseph. Even in jail, he, he, he takes on responsibilities. He does things with excellence. And it's such a, a wonderful, wonderful picture for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, this is our last scripture for the night. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph loves God. Joseph is called to a very strange ministry, but he's fulfilling it. Now, I don't know that he knows he's fulfilling a ministry. Joseph has been brought down to Egypt by God on purpose through extraordinary circumstances that Joseph would have never thought and would have never planned. You know how you want to know the next step in your life? You, you've got step A, and, and, now, and now you're moving into step B, and you want God to show you C, D, E, F, all of it. But if he did, would we take those steps? Because some of those steps, C, D, E, may not be what we would expect or even want in our lives. Some of you may have taken a step and God may have put you in a position. Circumstances may have changed for you in such a way that you can be worried and waiting. God's like, no, this is the very next step. For Joseph, he was leading his family as far as the, uh, the business goes. And finds himself thrown into a pit and sold by his brothers. How could this possibly be of God? Sold to this traveling chain or train of, of a, a, a caravan of, of, of slave sellers taken to Egypt. How could this be God's plan? Sold into Potiphar's house and being wrongly accused of sexual immorality. How could this be a part of God's plan? And then put into prison. Down, down, down. How could this be God's plan? It is. He's being put into a position, and this is the only way God wanted it to happen, for him to be put into number two position in Egypt. Only Pharaoh will be above him. And this has to happen. So those who are called according to his pur purposes, which is all of us as Christians, for those who are loved by God, that's all of us as Christians. All these things are going to work together for good. We just have to walk in them. We have to take each step. We have to follow the path that God's given for us and trust him. This is the best. This is the way to go there. This is how we get to where I want to go. He is setting Joseph up for the entire nation of Israel to grow in Egypt to a huge, massive force. And then 400 years later, they're going to come out through terrible circumstances, but a wonderful deliverance into the promised land, and they're going to finally occupy it. But this is the step. I don't know where you are. Joseph never gets that perspective. He never sees Moses. He never sees the Red Sea. He doesn't see millions of people. He doesn't see 10 plagues. He never gets to see any of that stuff. But he's instrumental in what God is doing for the nation of Israel. And he's part of it. 
What part of God's plan are you fulfilling right now? I, I've stopped trying to figure out how to get out of step C, D, and E, and I've learned to be content in those steps and trust that God is moving me in a direction that he wants me, serving him. Whatever's before me, I serve him wholeheartedly. I serve him with joy. I'm content where I am, and I serve him right where I am. And that's all I have to worry about. I don't have to worry about the next step. All I have to worry about is, am I serving Jesus Christ today with all of my heart, with contentment and joy, to the point where everybody around me sees and God gets the glory for it? That's all we're called to do, to be faithful servants. I watched a, another brother uh, online uh, yesterday doing a devotional for his church. We're a blessed church. I'm looking at all the views and all the people watching, 60, 70, 80 on a Wednesday night. And then on Sunday morning, I'm seeing, well, many more, over 100, 130, 150 people watching. And then the shares, over 100 shares. And the impact is 7,000. And we've got about 800 people that watch through the whole teach. I'm seeing this. It's beautiful fruit. And then I come across this guy on a Tuesday afternoon, playing his guitar, singing old hymns to his congregation, for whoever may want it, for whoever may want to listen. And oftentimes, as I watched that little eyeball in the left-hand corner, there was only one person watching. And guess who that is? It's me. I don't even go to his church. But he was faithful. He was faithful to play his guitar. He was faithful to sing, to give a story for the kids, to sing a song for the kids. The most blessed song, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he's looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And I'm, as an adult man, 50 years old, going, amen, brother. Preach, you know. That was maybe meant for a seven-year-old or a five-year-old, but this 50-year-old got it, you know. Faithful. This man was faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to your Lord, no matter what the circumstances, no matter where God has you, no matter what. Uh, I was watching Nate um, Blackford uh, give his uh, COVID update for Mosaic. Just, I can't imagine he's getting it for both sides. He's got to. He's got to. In that administrative position, got to be getting it from both sides. And I'm like, I just want to pray for him, Nate. Just be faithful, brother. Be faithful in what God's called you to do right then and there. Just be faithful. And he is. And he is, of course. But I imagine there's days when he'd say, you know what? Florida's looking good right now. A beach anywhere but here would be fine. Be faithful what God's called you to do. Thank you for uh, tuning in tonight and for sharing the post. We're going to pray now and close. If you have prayer requests, please put them in the comments, and we'll try to pray with you virtually. Um, and we'll do the best we can to do this. I know many of you have posted, boy, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get back, and neither can we. Uh, we're finishing up the things around here, and it's great, and we're, we're, we're using the time wisely. Um, we're redeeming the time that we have here, um, but we want to get back soon also, and, and, and I'm hoping sooner rather than later. I've got some dates in my mind that I'm praying over. I don't want to be controversial just to be controversial, but um, I, I'm I'm, I'm, I've got some dates. I don't want to put them out there because I don't know what God wants to do. I don't want to put our, our leadership in, in, our, in our government here and locally in, in a funny position. Uh, I don't want to put our sheriff in a funny position. But honestly, there's a lot of pressure 
And there's a lot of evidence that says we ought to be able to just kind of come back now and, and worship. And so our plan, just so you're aware, when we do open up again, um, our social distancing uh, provision will be watch from Facebook. Um, when the church does open up and we invite people to come back, we won't be enforcing six feet. Um, there's just no way to do that. We're not going to be standing here like room monitors, like your children saying, you know, keep a space in between. So if you decide to come to church when we open back up again, I'm saying this now and I'll say this every uh, every live feed, be prepared to sit next to somebody. And if that's uncomfortable for you, I understand and there's no judgment. Please social distance yourself by watching Facebook Live. We will continue to do this ministry as long as God allows us to. We don't ever intend to stop this ministry. So that's our social distancing provision. Please watch from home, from your phone, or whatever you're watching from. There you go. Uh, but when we come back, it's going to be business as usual, church as usual, worship as usual. Um, we're not going to be enforcing that, those social distancing things. No masks unless you want to wear them. Uh, no gloves unless you want to wear them. Um, and so that's kind of how it's going to be when we when we come back together. So fair warning. Uh, be blessed and uh, thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for all that you've done for us and how you've given us these beautiful um, pictures in the Old Testament to help us to understand you, Jesus, as you were rejected by men, as you were wrongly accused, as you were falsely accused, as you were imprisoned unjustly, and as you were crucified um, for other people's faults and sins. We know that you overcame and you served throughout. Um, you were gentle. Um, you said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Throughout your entire ministry, we see this, and Joseph lives this out for us. He shows us what it happened when you did what you did, how it works, and how your purposes were meant by God to bring about our salvation, to bring about our deliverance, which is exactly what Joseph's going to do for his family. And so we thank you for this tonight. We love you. Um, we pray that you'd be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.